Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hello and welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, coming at you on a beautiful early spring day here in my bioregion of Northern California, Coast Miwok land. Just came in from a little lunch break. It's one of my work days. I have work days and I have mama days, although every day is a mama day. And I took a little lunch break with Tim, and then I went outside to get some eggs from the chickens, and they're laying more all of a sudden, and that feels like a sign of the quickening of the warming here in the Northern Hemisphere, and my uh, elderberry tree that I thought was gone is not gone. I have taken that tree from house to house and planted it and uprooted it and taken it. It's still going strong. And the lilac tree is budding and the blueberry bush is budding and the hydrangea and the strawberry. And I put in my lettuces a little late, but that's going to give me spring greens. And I'm really just in my own personal coming to just hit six months postpartum and sleeping more. Mamas and parents, you will sleep more. I'm proof. I really didn't think it was possible. You will sleep more. And really just a returning to self, to myself in a, in a new way. We're talking about rites of passage today on the, my interview with Jesse Harold. And there's a really important part of the rites of passage process, which is being witnessed as changed. And part of doing that witnessing is you witnessing yourself, not just community witnessing. 
And I feel very much in that process of witnessing myself. And it's not like I'm back. It's like I'm coming to as a new being. And I also remember who I am and what I did and who I was. And I'm returning to those things with newness, with difference. And so to be in the garden just now, gathering eggs and pulling chickweed to feed the chickens and weeding in between my little lettuces and feeling excitement at the lemons coming in and smelling the orange blossoms and every little thing is like, oh yeah, I used to do this. I used to do this a lot actually. It's it's this reemergence through ritual. Ritual being small little things like walking in the garden, gathering eggs, making a cup of tea, pouring a bowl of soup, remembering who I am as I am also new seems just really important. So I've been just like turning on the microphone and talking (laughs) when I do these intros lately and not always remembering what I'm saying because there is a little bit of like that mommy amnesia I'm having. And I, it's so funny. I'm reminded what I said by, by you reaching out to me mostly through DMs and emails saying like, Hey, I think it's so great that you're talking about motherhood. Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel insecure. I'm like, Oh, I did say that. And then, um, I talked about my vision of planting a dye garden. I completely forgot I told you that. And then I've had a few friends and and listeners send me Instagram accounts of people who are doing botanical dyeing and and foraged dyeing and and having dye gardens and I just want to say thank you for listening to me and and following up with me even energetically even if you're like right now blowing me a kiss. Thank you. I'm blowing you a kiss. And I have to tell you in this gradual year of reemergence, I got my seeds. I got all these seeds like for these plants that are specifically I'm thinking about not just supporting the pollinators and not just having honoring them as plant beings, but also using working with some of their blooms for botanical dyeing. And um, I just got really excited about dyeing with avocado pits. So I, there's, I'm following this thread, right? So creativity comes back. I've had like a thousand ideas, but the idea I'm sticking with, and I'm closing my eyes and I'm reminding myself <laughs> the idea I'm sticking with is what is um, making my belly flutter and my heart race. And what is the through line that is sort of carrying me back into this I want to say back into the world. I've always been in the world, but back into a different sort of more conscious place in the world is that I want to work with plants to dye things, D-Y-E things. And so it's still happening and I'm so excited. And I've decided this weekend I'm going to start my seeds. And Tim's like figuring out the grow lights because I realized that I needed better sunlight last year. So I'm harvesting the lessons of last year with the garden and we're getting improving upon the process. That feels really good in my system, right? I'm learning, I'm remembering, I'm improving, I'm devoting. So that's where I'm at with that. So many other beautiful little moments have been happening for me that feel like such gifts that I feel like previous Becca may not have had the presence to witness and receive as a gift. These little micro moments of joy and excitement and the rush of creative energy and moments of rest. So that's where I'm at in this moment. 
And I'm really thrilled to continue. There seems to be a little theme with the episodes lately around motherhood, parenthood, because that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. And there's there's just so much I want to say. And in the absence of having many, many people over to my house to talk to them about it, I talk to you about it and it seems to resonate. And so I'm bringing you a conversation about rites of passage, radical life transitions and motherhood with Jesse Harold. So Jesse Harold is a coach, women's mentor and doula who's been supporting women through radical life transformations and other rites of passage for over a decade. Jesse works one-on-one with women and mothers, facilitates mentorship programs, women's circles and retreats and rituals and hosts wilderness quests. Jesse is also the author of Project Body Love, My Quest to Love My Body and the Surprising Truth I Found Instead, as well as the forthcoming title, ooh, Mother Shift, Reclaiming Motherhood as a Rite of Passage. Jesse's work has been featured in Spirituality and Health, Green Parent, Expectful, and Explore Magazine. She is also the host of the Becoming podcast. Give it a listen. She lives in the East Coast of Canada, where she mothers her two children, writes, and tends to her land. This conversation is tender at times. That's also been a theme. Me just getting super real about what's going on for me and how the past six months plus pregnancy has really worked through me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jesse. I, I was trying to find the word actually and stumbling a little bit about just like our ancestral bodies, like really craving seasonality mm. and then the confusion that it brings with like, just like climate change. Yeah. And you were saying like, it's weird that it's not colder and snowy here. And like here in California, we had a really hot day two days ago and the winds blew really hard, like 90 miles an hour. And then we had some spot fires come and we all thought like, Oh, fire season's done and the rain returns. And it's just, it's um, discombobulating. (laughs) I don't know why yeah. that's the word that came to mind of yeah of being in a season that like you know to be a certain way according to like ancestral memory or even just like childhood memory and then feeling it be different. And my whole question which is not what we need to talk about in this glorious conversation is like how do we like bridge our seasonal knowing with like how climate change affects our the you know like the ecology of our microclimates. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) I do. I do know exactly what you mean. It's true. And it's interesting too, because I think like a lot of us um, maybe cognitively would say that we're craving the warmer weather, that we're craving that sort of eternal summer. But, but no, I feel like I, over the last few years, I really learned to re-love winter and yeah, it's really weird when it doesn't happen exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do really crave the sun, but if I don't have an Mm. opportunity to like really winter, like hibernate, then yeah, you know, like those winters that you just like are in denial and want to like push really hard, then I usually get sick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that's just a thought I had, but um, I want to officially, Jesse, Harold, officially welcome you to Belonging 
Thank you for being here. I've heard so much about you and eat up all your content on Instagram and uh, your podcast, The Becoming Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you as a new mama because you really hold space for, I think you call them radical life transitions and the rites of passage that happen, particularly to women. And I am currently moving through it. I I don't think I've arrived. Do you ever arrive? I wonder, <laughs> but I don't think I've arrived at the other place. So I'm sort of in the liminal. So I think this is a really juicy time to dig in, at least for me on this topic. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So do you ever arrive? <laughs> right? That's my first question. I know. I feel like everyone... Does she desperately asks. She desperately asks. <laughs> it's true. Well, I don't know. There's a few theories out there, right? So, so you know, yes, some of us say that, you know, that matrescence, that transition into motherhood lasts forever, for as long as you're a mother. And I would say that the identity shift into motherhood takes about two to three years in my experience. And that this, the, the shift into kind of feeling fully embodied in your motherhood happens really subtly, but it, but it does happen. And I can credit my colleague, Britta Bushnell, who um, is also a childbirth educator and, and has worked through similar realms of rituals and rites of passage as, as I do with saying that the further transitions that we go through might be sort of shifts to the skill sets that we need to mother, but the, that identity shift is one that we make sort of at the outset of our motherhood in those very early years. But yeah, it doesn't take you know, six weeks or three months or even a year, it takes two to three years. Hmm. And it takes two to three years to feel what? Mm, I always kind of joke that, or maybe it's not really a joke at all, but it's like when you're at the playground with your kids and someone calls out mom and you're not looking for someone else, <laughs> right? It's this... <laughs> Yeah, it's this feeling of I, I, it's hard to really describe um, that that mother is an identity that you feel you can hold now, and that also maybe it's it's a transition into fighting against it less, you know. And I think that's not to say you know I have a nine and a five year old, and there are certainly some days where I kind of wish I could pee by myself. But, you know, there's this transition into feeling like, okay, this is my life now. Maybe the maybe the grieving starts to ease a little bit. That period of grieving for your former self begins to ease. And so, you know, maybe it's it's both a stepping into and sort of a releasing of what's no longer that happens. And and yeah, it's it's hard to you know, expressed tangibly other than that example of being in the playground and turning your head when someone hollers mom. But I, I do know that there's this sort of sense, and I think it's an embodied sense that so many of the women that I work with have, and it often hits around that two to three year mark. It's different for everyone, but there's this kind of like, oh, yes, I can I can see myself in this role now and I've let go of the previous roles but also taken up 
the the powers and the particular capacities and abilities that one earns through the early years of parenthood. Hmm, that makes a lot of sense as much as it can for me being 20 weeks into this. Yeah. Plus pregnancy. <laughs> Just like what makes sense to me in listening to your words is like how deep and cavernous and fractalized, not just like long, it's not like a long journey to feeling more comfortable in this new identity I'm entering in. It's just like, it's complicated. (laughs) That's what I really feel. Like on the other side of birth, I feel like I'm humbled on my knees, just like, oh, I know nothing kind of a feeling in a way that I can see it taking a while and taking many experiences, taking like long, hard nights and illnesses and um, moments with my body to really get to a more embodied place of like, oh, this is who I am now. As someone who always wants to get the, take the shortcut (laughs) and as someone who just was sort of in denial about how, complicated and challenging it would be. Yeah. And I think you're not alone in that because having been immersed in birth work for you know 13 years, I can say pretty confidently that we are, you know, just beginning a conversation about postpartum. Like really, just beginning a conversation about the fourth trimester, for example. And what that means, I think, in in sort of our our common lexicon now is pertaining mostly to the experience of physical and emotional healing in, you know, the first six weeks to three months. And, you know, we're, we're growing a kind of cultural awareness around the experience of postpartum mood disorders, for example. And so like, these are the things that we're talking about in the postpartum period. And that is new in and of itself. And there are few of us talking about that identity shift, that shift to who I am. And the dominant cultural narrative is still, I will not lose myself in motherhood. Like losing yourself in motherhood is the worst possible thing that could happen in our culture. And so like Mm. all of this kind of exploration is really, really new. And, And I think the thing is, is that a lot of what we have come to expect in the postpartum time is quite transactional. So it's, you know, we expect to be learning new skills and, and then that there's some kind of mastery of them, right? And which is true in some way. I'm sure like you're not, you know, as poop stained maybe as you were in the early, early <laughs> weeks, right? Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so there's some skills to learn, but there's something about, the evolution of our identity, the the development of ourselves that happens over the much, much longer term. And, and that's a really, really new conversation. And I would even go so far as to say that, like, so the idea of matrescence is, you know, that identity shift into motherhood, that's a conversation we're, we're having a little bit more now. But even that conversation is sort of limited to the idea that it happens. So we're kind of as a culture saying, okay, there there is an identity shift. You will feel like a new person. These are some of the things that happen. 
And what I think we're not delving into yet and what where my curiosity is and my exploration is, is how it happens. So what is that, as you say, complex and cavernous and completely transformative process? What does that actually look like? And I think when we can start to elucidate what that is and name it, right? And and the minute we name it is when we can start coming in with resources and support and we can start speaking about it and writing about it and reflecting on it. And so I think it's a brand new conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a conversation I just, I'm so hungry to have. And I find myself just with so many words, (laughs) so much so much to say and and such a emotional range every day is like a new universe with a baby but it's also a new universe inside me like the big bang is happening inside me every day that's what i feel mm-hmm. like and i find myself feeling hesitant to share it <laughs> and that's like sort of the overculture thing i feel hesitant that like am i the only one feeling this way will i sound like confusing it's not very linear when I'm saying I really get frustrated with the one dimensionality of motherhood. Like I go on Instagram and I'm like, I'm having a really hard time right now. You know, like this is really tough. And then I, I just inevitably get these DMS that are like treasure your moments with your child, you know, like, but isn't it all worth it? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Of course that's there too. But can there be space for me to talk about, like all the other things happening inside me. And I, I guess I, that's why I'm doing it is because I want, I want to model what I want, you know, which is there to be space and some semblance of safety for the conversation to be complex and cavernous and fractalized and not one dimensional, because this is an ancient rite of passage. This is an ancient life transition. And I really love that you, talk about it being a radical life transition and and I'm I'm talking about it in that way too because I think there are probably I'd actually be really curious what you think about that like the similarities between something like becoming a mother and something like you know losing family members and being in deep grief and how we as a society don't really know how to show up for each other in that way. So maybe let's pivot to that. Yeah. Um, Thank you for listening. As you can tell, I just have so much to say about this topic, (laughs) about transitioning in life and what that does to us and how we can show up for people doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love this question because I, so a little story, I guess, is that You know, I've been doing birth work for 13 years and supporting women as a doula through the transition into motherhood. And it was about six years ago or so that I that I started my coaching practice. And I wasn't exactly, you know, starting a business. Who's my niche audience? (laughs) How will I serve? And, you know, I felt really drawn to working with people who were also going through other life transitions. And so I've really delved into that exact question is how does the transition into motherhood parallel the other transitions and transformations 
that we make in our lives. And I think I often think, I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody, but I often think of, you know, the very traditional model of midwifery was that a midwife supported you not only through your birth, but also through all of those other transitions in life, through the passing of your loved ones, through, you know, the ups and downs of your relationship, through your own healing journey, and eventually into your own passing. And so I often think about that when I think about drawing these parallels. And, and I think the parallels are, are many. So I'm, you know, as much as I adore the kind of deeply sacred and, and ancestral nature of this work, I'm also a total nerd. And so when I began exploring the idea of what it is to make change in our lives. You know, I dived into mythology and adult development psychology and rites of passage theory and neuroscience. And I, I delved into all this literature around what is it to transform. And we've got some really beautiful models of what life transition looks like. But as I was kind of doing this and working with my both my birthing clients and these other women that I was coaching through other types of life transitions, what I noticed was kind of exactly what you pointed to earlier was a real lack of complexity and relationality in the sort of mm, academic understanding that we have of adult development and life transition. And also that a lot of these theories and kind of ways of describing life transition were generated by and for a bunch of old white male psychologists. And so I was seeing in the very real experiences of the women that I was working with that they just didn't speak to the the ecosystem of these women's lives and how when we make change or when we go through change, that there's a whole ecosystem of roles and responsibilities and relationships that either change or don't change with us. And, and I noticed that that was lacking. And yes, like you again pointed to that idea of community support. And I talk often about these skills that we need to reclaim to be able to traverse transformative times in our lives more skillfully and reclaiming what it is to live in community and to be a good community member, to listen, to pop into someone's DMs and say, I hear you and I feel you, not it'll get better, right? Like we have lost those fundamental skills of what it is to hold space to show up on someone's doorstep with a lasagna when they least expect it, but most need it. So I think I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place, but I think I feel as though, yes, there are these beautiful kind of common threads through all of the transitions that we make. And in fact, that we can, as we traverse same motherhood, that there are meta skills that we can draw from that experience, the, the capacity to tune into ourselves, reconnect and, and understand what we need. That's a capacity that will carry you through all kinds of life transitions. And the same being with the idea of being in community, like these are the skills that we need to begin to develop, to traverse change better. 
I'm just writing notes. This is so good. Skills to traverse change better. You're speaking my language. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is everything to me. Mm-hmm. Like this is literally it's not literally everything to me. I can be so hyperbolic, but it feels literally like everything to me. Particularly on the other, you know, on the other side of the birth of my first child, just like whoa, there's something about being in this tender space in these tender times, right? In Mm -hmm. this time of pandemic to really just see the overarching need of humanity for me is, is these, is not just community. Cause when I say community or even quote the village, I just don't think that's specific enough. And I think you're getting there with the skills. Yeah. It's like, like in my membership program, Hearthfire, like we are constantly practicing witnessing. How do we witness? How do we hear? How do we witness? How do we, how, how do we listen fertilely? You know, how, how can we empty ourselves of our desires to be seen as helpful? Like why is the, our value is to be seen as helpful for giving advice? And, and can we just hear someone? Like to me, that's a very, very, very important skill. I love that you bring in that traditionally midwifery was womb to tomb. When this comes out, there will have been a recent episode with Rochelle Garcia Saliga of Innate Traditions, where she really just landed that point mm-hmm. that midwives or this practice, it's like it's almost like midwife is a term, but this deep practice that you are a part of in your doula work is about supporting a human being and the community through all of these innate transitions that we all are going through. And that there was a very real schism when the white men, (laughs) pretty much, especially if you are descended from Europe or have been colonized by your ancestors were colonized by Europeans. um, There was just like a very targeted campaign to kill and get rid of murder these people with these skills. Mm -hmm. So it's in us, right? We just have to relearn them. Uh, So, I'm just like such a yes head nod fist pump in the air listening to you talk about it. And I'd love, I'd love to talk more about to those of us whose little right brains are like, what skills can I write down what these skills are? (laughs) What are these skills? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the idea of learning how to be good witnesses. Yeah. And when we think about, you know, any rite of passage, it really, you know, traditionally was not thought to be completed until it was witnessed. Until someone came to you and said, hey, I see that you're different now. Way to go. <laughs> right? And I think we've lost that. Right? Okay. Yeah. Like literally those words. <laughs> those words are so good. I know. I know. It doesn't take much. But it's true. And I, so, yes. Yeah, so witnessing well, learning how to hold space for others and for ourselves, I think is huge. And it, and it is a skill. I think that's something that I, I thought, oh, if I'm a, I don't know, a, a, a kind and empathetic person, that's just something that will come naturally to me. It is not. Um, and I still catch myself, even though my job right. is to hold space for others, I catch myself all the time, not being a good witness. So, so there's skill number one. I love the idea of, and this was, maybe I'll tell another little tiny story, which was when I was pregnant with my second child, my first was two and a half. So she was a 
a real toddler. Um, <laughs> she was a challenge in many ways. And during that time, my husband was deployed overseas for six months. So I took a pregnancy test on the phone with him and then oh. traversed the vast majority of my pregnancy while solo parenting my daughter. And, and so, no, I was not single parenting. I had lots of support. There are lots of privileges that I had. Having family close by was not one of those privileges. And while I'd always been able to kind of get through and, you know, there was always kind of a way to make ends meet during challenging times, even with no sort of what I call unconditional support, I found myself in a really dark place and so dark that I didn't know how to ask for help. It wasn't a pride thing. It was literally, I didn't have the words for it. I had no idea what I needed. And so there were so many beautiful humans who had reached out to me and said, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Just give me a call if you need me. And like, thank goodness. Yes. And also I had no idea what to say to them. And one day a friend of mine called up and said, I've gotten you a gift certificate to have your dog walked by this like local guy. He's going to take your dog on a hike, three hikes. I've bought you three hikes. <laughs> and I just started crying on the phone because it was the thing that I needed so incredibly badly and didn't realize I needed. And, and so when I talk about unconditional support, it kind of looks like that. It's like showing up anyways, assuming that your neighbor could probably use a batch of your homemade granola and just dropping it off. And, you know, in our culture, we've just gotten so awkward about showing up for each other. You know, we schedule it for three weeks out and it's, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've showed up on somebody's door with a lasagna and they've wondered how they can pay me back. Like, no, no, this is me trying to be a good community member. And so whenever I feel a little extra resourced, or even when I don't actually, I'll make a little extra granola <laughs> and drop it off. Like, you know, food's my love language. But I think that just reaching out to people in this kind of unconditional way that you can show up without being asked to. And, and I think we need to kind of stop with the, like, let me know if there's anything you need, because I don't know that it works. I think it makes us feel better than it actually makes the other person feel supported. So there's a couple of uh -huh. things, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So thank you for all of that so, so much. I, I think what really sticks out to me from what you just said is like, for me, I always think of it as like strengthening an atrophied muscle. You know, mm -hmm. you just got to keep like lifting the weight or whatever in order to get stronger. And it's not always comfortable. And sometimes you want to like stop or give up. And sometimes you don't show up to your little workout. But then there's that moment where you're like, oh, we're getting stronger. And it's very encouraging. And I think the muscle that I want to build <laughs> and that you're speaking to is the one of like that innate thinking of making a little extra granola yeah, or like just thinking. I think that's like a starting point. And I often don't think of others initially. 
And so that's like, cause I, I love the idea of showing up, like we have chickens, right? So it's like, I love the idea of bringing chickens, chicken eggs to my neighbors, but like, I don't often think of it innately. Mm-hmm. I, know I just said, I don't often think of others and that sounded really bad, but I, I'm trying, I think you know what I mean here, which is like yeah, the thinking of bringing to, things to others is like an atrophied muscle in me. And I wonder in many of us, because we've really been raised in a society that promotes individualism over community. Yeah. And so we're always, and, and what, you know, we're, we're trying to, we have overbooked lives. Like there's a lot of commentary we can make on the culture in general that makes us the way we are, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't mean we can't strengthen this muscle of just thinking of like, is there someone in my community I can drop off the granola to like, Oh, my friend had a baby four months ago and the meal train is probably done. And she, and her child probably isn't sleeping well. Cause that's around four months. Like what can I do for her? Or another friend um, lost their parents six months ago. I'm all about the like showing up for them when everyone else sort of dips down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yes, I do. Yeah. That's a big Absolutely. one. Yeah. And so that's something I'm trying to get into practices is like, how can I make this something I innately think of and remember? Because I think, tell me if you need something is a way of putting off that work within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I often say, and I think after that, after that year, well, six months of solo parenting while pregnant, I vowed to be the kind of support I wanted to receive because I think You know, it's like the classic thing when you have an expectation of others, it's kind of just like, you know, you're awaiting eventual disappointment (laughs) if you don't state that expectation. So it often feels like um, sometimes our craving for community can feel a little um, powerless. Like, I I want to receive support. (laughs) You know, I want to feel that sense of community. And so I think being the support you want to receive is a way to reclaim agency in that and that we actually kind of have to show our community what community looks like and kind of begin to reimagine that in our modern day context. Yes. I'm just thinking of another friend who was really feeling frustrated. I didn't even say bitter (laughs) that the community wasn't showing up for her more in a time where she just like needed extra childcare support. And so she just like made a spreadsheet with times, like times she needed someone to just come and like play with her kid for 45 minutes, you know, not bring her another lasagna. That's not what she needed. Right. She needed someone to just like push her kid on a swing, her amazing, adorable kid. And she just sent it out and she was like, this is me initiating community care that we all talk about needing. Well, I need you. Yeah. Can you please sign up for times? And it was, it landed with mixed results. Honestly, Mm -hmm. some people were like, you got it. And some people were like, Whoa, this makes me feel uncomfortable, you know? And so that's something I want to dive deeper on with you is like the inherent tension in looking needy, yeah. <laughs> which our mutual friend Mark Glatzel talks about all the time, or the feeling of being asked to support someone when you feel like you like that can trigger or mirror like, well, I'm not getting supported, mm-hmm. you know? So like, how do we move through these like shadow stuff that comes up? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, and that's another beautiful way to kind of claim some agency over, you know, that community creation is to state what you need. And I think, you know, and yes, Mara would be like fist bumping and <laughs> us as we talk about this, but it's, it's our responsibility to know what those needs are. So your friend looked and reconnected and connected with what she needed and decided this was the thing. And then asked for it. Like that's pretty darn beautiful. I think mm-hmm. so often we we kind of just say like I need help, I need support. But it is our responsibility as in the ability to respond to our own needs or to ask to have them met, right? And so I think that's beautiful. But yeah, I do get that that feeling that discomfort that can come up and I think it has more to do with sort of the person being asked when when you're kind of going wait a second, I've got all of these needs that I don't get met. Um, how dare this person ask for help? I feel like that's a, isn't that just a sort of a, a sign of the kind of culture we're steeped in that I guess that we we shouldn't have needs or shouldn't ask to have them met? And how dare we be that incredibly specific about them? Yeah, I know. I think it's gnarly, but I think we we kind of have to like exercising that muscle, like I think we kind of have to push through that and notice what that's bringing up in you. And so if, if it feels like, geez, I'm not getting my needs met, then okay, how could you? This person is modeling how incredibly powerful it can be to just name it, name what you, what you need in terms of support and, and ask to have it met. And it's vulnerable too, right? Because yes, because people might not receive that well, but she did it anyways. And I think, I don't know, my hope is that in the long term, that we, when we witness that and can be with that, that we learn from it and and that we all learn to be better community members. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm going to call myself out. I was one of the people who didn't receive it that well. Yeah. Fair. And it is emblazoned in my mind. It imprinted in me this moment where, and I've talked to her, um, she's like one of my best friends, where I've been like, I'm so sorry I didn't show up for you better. Especially now that I have a baby, I'm like, dang, this is the whole thing. I keep talking to all my new mama friends who are like, wow, I just like really didn't show up for any of my friends who had babies the way they needed. Like there's the realization when you go through some sort of major life transition. There's like a kinship that happens with others, right? Who have gone through it as well. But I'm so grateful that she did that. And I'll just never forget my reaction to it. And I I think that that whole experience, you're right, like shifted me and, and served as a model for me, a teacher for me about how I'll show up in the future. But I feel super bad about it. <laughs> I just, these are the experiences of life that help make us into like more communal beings. Mm. And I, I teach a lot about the idea of nonlinear reciprocity. So like, just because I go, you know, push your baby on the swing for 45 minutes, (laughs) doesn't mean you, you owe me one. (laughs) It means maybe when you are better resourced to support someone else in your community, you do that. And, and that we can trust in that kind of non-linearity and that it's okay to have a boundary too, right? Just because someone's asking for help, you can say, I don't feel well-resourced enough to support you. I'm sorry. 
you know, and it can, it can, I think it can be as simple as that when we feel clean about it, you know, and we feel like, yeah, no, I, I can't, I don't have the extra resources right now. Maybe another time or maybe another time in that nonlinear way, I reach out to someone else and say, hey, I can go push your kid on the swing for 45 minutes. <laughs> How about it? Mm, I love that term, nonlinear reciprocity. Totally. That is, that was activated in that exchange. I guess I'm just looking back at that moment and realizing I actually did have, I was resourced enough. Mm. I was just, um, yeah, triggered. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> About my own stuff, which is a beautiful thing, which is a beautiful, mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. And a part of the process of, of relearning these tools and re-strengthening this muscle. I do, I do believe that mm. in a really deep way. And I had such a re- beautiful conversation with her about it where she was like, Oh, I, it's fine. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> I was like, oh. She's like, that's so cool that that happened for you. I was like, yeah, that's, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would love to hear more about, I'm just really curious about, you were talking about your research and how you realize a lot of what's shared around transition and rites of passage was really for like white male psychologists. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, easily fanned my flames where I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. So yeah. yeah, I'd love it if you can say more about like the, just the work you're engaging in from this like perspective of being female bodied and in the feminine and and in holding for the healing of these spaces that were really taken away from us as human beings, you know, hundreds of years ago and how we can reclaim it again. Mm. Mm, yes, there's a lot in there. So from the perspective of sort of like the work that I do with women now, you know, as I was delving into this research, yes, my fans were my my fans were flamed, my flames were fanned <laughs> also big time. And we have so we have some models of life transformation that we can turn to as female-bodied humans. We've got the maiden mother crone model of of transformation. And we've got the heroine's journey, the work by Maureen Murdoch, which is also a beautiful description of, of how women's lives transform. And also what I was noticing was a lack of modern day context. So actually pulling it right into the here and now and like out of this kind of ancient knowing, which is also there, but then seeing that in the world we are living in right now, we have such a maelstrom of contexts. We've got the pandemic. We've got everything political that is happening right now. We've got Black Lives Matter. We've got the Me Too movement. We've got so much that is happening on a collective level. And it's, it's necessarily stirring us on an individual level. And we've got this rumbling. And so when, you know, I often say when a woman is tired of playing by anyone else's rules but her own or is completely done with what she's seeing in this capitalist patriarchal society, she often decides to change her life. And and that's where this kind of modern day understanding of life transformation 
comes in. And I think what's also kind of rumbling at a collective level is this kind of re-engaging with the ways of the matriarchy, with those archetypally feminine ways of being that I think is rumbling at a collective level too. So maybe a woman is changing her career, maybe she's becoming a mother, but then also there's these skills and capacities and sort of ancient wisdoms that are being unearthed in her. This idea of being in community is, I think, a part of our modern day rites of passage in a new and different way. Honoring inner knowing and intuition is so much a part of what it takes to traverse a rite of passage, but then also very particular to our context where we're, we're saying, hey, there's more than one way of knowing. I think embodiment is something that is, is happening again at this collective level. When we go through a change or rite of passage, there are so many of us that are feeling that in our bodies or that are reclaiming the experience of living in our bodies. So there's, there's these modern day contexts that I think are in many ways kind of particular or um, unique to women's and women identified folks experience. So there's that. And then you kind of alluded to this idea of like bringing that ancient wisdom. And I do think that, you know, a lot of our sort of most commonly used rubrics for rites of passage and life transformation, a lot of them came from not just old white male psychologists, but old white male psychologists observing tribal cultures in sort of this like anthropological sense. And there we get into a whole other world of challenges um, and, and where many of our rites of passage and or the rituals we engage in to honor them, you know, we need to begin to create culture around these rites of passage and rituals as opposed to appropriating culture around them. And so there's, there's this piece too. So it's, it's fascinating. We're taking this kind of ancient, I want to say desire, like it's in us. And we, I think are being called to reimagine it for our modern times. Again, you're speaking my language. (laughs) It's yes. Underline, underline, highlight, capital Y. Yes. I think, yeah, there's such opportunity here for every human being like on the planet to work with that ancestral knowing, which is like the term I would use Mm. with like the current, yeah, what's bubbling up in the culture, what's being revealed in this pandemic time. For me, it's like a distillation of like what really truly matters. Mm -hmm you know, turns out it's gathering and connection far more than it is shopping and vacation. Although I miss those things. Like (laughs) there is a distillation happening culturally. And so like we have this, this also a skill, right. Of like dreaming in the future together, dreaming it in together with this, like, yeah, not necessarily needing to appropriate, what, you know, indigenous culture that's been able to preserve it, but being able to dream in new ways of honoring each other, honoring ourselves, coming together, 
coming back into our bodies. Yeah. There's just such, it's such fertile soil, you know, that will take my entire life and and longer. And I feel so excited for my child engaging in that as well. And that gives me hope in a time where sometimes that feels like a little bit foggy, (laughs) like what's happening. That gives me a lot of hope and excitement in this moment where I have a lot of like crystal clear clarity on the ways I'm not being shown up for, the ways I am grieving who I once was and and looking to understand and get to know who I'm becoming. It all just feels like very like, oh, it was supposed to happen this way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it feels very beautiful in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really do think that there's, it, it is like, yes, you're going through this very personal and individual experience of what it is to become a mother. And yes, we've done that for as long as we've been bearing children. And also, yes, there is something so particular about the time that we're in that makes that experience really unique and special. Yes. But then also especially challenging in many ways. Yeah. Can't really hide from it. Can't really tune out Mm -hmm. the gift of this moment, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesse, thank you so much. I feel like we could just keep going and maybe we should in the future, but uh, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation at this exact moment. I trust it all. I would love for you to share where you want people to come find you and, and what you're offering them so that they can engage with you more. Absolutely. Yeah. So my website is um, a great place to hang out. You can check out, I write quite prolifically on my blog and have my, uh, the becoming podcast there. So it's www.jessieherald.com. And also, and maybe you can link these in the show notes, Becca, but I have, um, what's called a mama festo workbook and it's a really beautiful free resource for new mamas to begin to explore that who am I now question. And I often call it a map for your motherhood and a compass back home to yourself. And so that's there. And also for folks who maybe not traversing motherhood, but who are traversing a different kind of life transition or rite of passage, I have a really fun quiz called the four elements of radical transformation. And when you take that quiz, you can learn which of the four elements you're experiencing right now. So this is kind of all that nerdy research I was talking about has kind of been distilled into this, you know, modern day model of, you know, what it looks like to traverse radical transformation. So you'll find out which element you're in and then receive a really beautiful customized ebook and a five-day mini course that goes with that. So those are two little gifts that I have on my website for people to access and they're hopefully really supportive um, no matter what you're traversing right now. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll link that definitely in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com. You can check those out. Thank you again for your time and your generosity and your wisdom. It's so good to connect with you. Oh, thank you so much, Becca. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I 
I'm just an avid listener and always also nodding my head and popping my fist and saying yes, yes, yes to everything you say. So the work you're doing is so incredibly important in this world. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.